section two of the roman empire of the second century by william wolfe capes this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter two trajan a d ninety seven to one seventeen part one marcus ulpius traianus a native of italica in spain had been trained from early youth in the hard discipline of roman warfare and by long service in the camps had earned a title to the round of civil honours and to a place among the senators of rome summoned by domitian from spain at the head of a legion to the rhine he had come probably too late to help in quelling a revolt but he had won by his promptitude the honour of a consulship and was advanced by nerva to the command of upper germany then the most important of provincial offices in which his energy was being proved when the unlooked-for news arrived that he was chosen for the imperial succession and the tidings of nerva's death found him still busy with his military duties on the rhine he was yet in the full vigour of his manhood when the cares of state fell with the purple mantle on his shoulders the changing scenes of his laborious life had taught him experience of men and manners and it was with no wavering hands that he took up the reins of office and he grasped them firmly to the end mutiny and discontent seemed to have vanished already at his name but he had not forgotten the outrage done to nerva nor the parting charge in which he prayed him like the aged crises in the words of homer to avenge the suppliant's unavailing tears trajan was prompt and secret the ringleaders of the riot were called away to germany on various pleas and none came back to tell how they were treated there but though he could enforce discipline with needful rigour he had no lack of reverence for constitutional forms one of his earliest official acts was a letter to the senate full of regard for its august traditions in the course of which he promised to respect the life of every man of worth the credulous fancy of the age as reported in the history of dion cassius saw the motive for the promise in a dream in which a venerable figure came before him clad in purple robe and with a garland on his head such as was the painter's symbol for the senate and laid his finger upon trajan's neck leaving his signet stamp first on one side and then upon the other whatever we may think the cause whether sense of justice or mysterious warning prompted him to write that letter he tried certainly to make good the promise it contained and trod the dizzy heights of absolute power with the calmness of a serene and balanced temper he was in no haste to enter rome or receive the homage of the senate and the people perhaps he breathed more freely in the camp where he lived as simply as his ancient comrades and mistrusted the parade and insincerity of the great city perhaps he waited till he felt his throne secure and till he knew that the far-off legions had ratified the choice of nerva at length after a year's delay he quietly set out upon the journey without any stately train of followers to burden with exactions the towns through which he passed the only trace of ostentation which he showed was in publishing the items of his travelling expenses side by side with the accounts of the processions of domitian at his first entry into rome there was the same absence of parade he eschewed the white horses and triumphal car of the imperial pageants 
no numerous bodyguard kept the people at a distance but as his manly figure moved along the streets men saw him interchange a hearty greeting with the senators he met and pass no old acquaintance unobserved they marked also the same simple earnestness in the bearing of his wife platina who walked calmly by his side and as she passed into the palace that was now to be her home prayed with a quiet emphasis in the hearing of the crowd that she might leave it in the same temper that she entered it a like unassuming spirit was shown in trajan's dealings with the senate he called upon it to resume its work as in an age of freedom and to acknowledge the responsibilities of power he honestly respected its traditions and wished the government to be carried forward in its name the holders of official rank were encouraged to look upon themselves as ministers of state and not as servants of the caesar and the new generals of the imperial guards had their swords given them with the words use this in my defence while i rule justly but against me if i prove to be unworthy for there was little danger now that the old constitutional forms would be misused the senate was no longer an assembly of great nobles proudly reliant on the traditions of the past and on the energy which had laid the world prostrate at their feet many of the old families had passed away their wealth their eminence their historic glories had made them victims to a tyrant's jealousy or greed their places had been taken by newcomers from the provinces or creatures of imperial favour and a century had passed away since the senate of the commonwealth had claimed or had deserved to rule the ancient offices even the consulship itself were little more than empty honours and therefore passed rapidly from hand to hand and even pliny full as he was of sentimental reverence for the past asked himself if the tribunate which he held a while had indeed any meaning for his days or was only a venerable sham hence trajan strong and self-reliant though he was had no jealousy of names and titles and cared little for the outer forms so the work was done as he would have it he had little interest in meddling with the mere machinery of government and though some parts were chiefly ornamental and others seemed rusty and outworn yet he would not pull the whole to pieces for the sake of symmetry and finish if there were only working wheels enough to bear the necessary strain he knew that from the force of habit men loved the venerable forms and that vital changes soon grew crusted over with the fanciful associations of the past till all seemed old while all was really new so new coins came from his mints with the symbols of the old republic his courtiers were allowed to guard with reverent care their statues of brutus and cassius and the catos and the once dreaded name of liberty came freely to the pen of every writer of his day he shrank with instinctive modesty from the naked assertion of his power not like augustus from fear or hypocritic craft and therefore with the sense of lifelong self-restraint but with the frankness of a soldier who disliked high airs and stiff parade he went through the streets almost unguarded allowed suitors of every class an easy access to his chamber and took part with genial courtesy in the social gatherings of rome flattering phrases had no music for his ear and made him feel none of the divinity of kingship 
so he delayed as long as possible the customary honours for his kinsmen and flatly refused to pose himself as a deity before the time it was therefore only natural for him to rebuke the officious zeal of the informers who reported words or acts of seeming disrespect and the old laws of treason which had covered charges so fatal because so ill-defined dropped for a while at least into abeyance after the morbid suspicions of domitian men could hardly understand at first the fearless trustfulness of the present ruler and they still told him of their fears and whispered their misgivings of many a possible malcontent and traitor one case of this kind must be singled out to throw light upon the emperor's temper licinius sura was one of the wealthiest of living romans and a marked figure in the social circles in which the intimates of trajan moved he had won his sovereign's confidence who owed his throne as it was said to sura's influence when nerva was looking round for a successor yet sinister rumours of disloyal plots were coupled with his name and zealous friends soon brought the stories to the emperor's ear and wearied him with their repeated warnings at last he started on a visit to licinius himself sent his guards home and chatted freely with his host then asked to see the servant who acted as the doctor of the house and had himself dosed for some slight ailment after this he begged to have his friend's own barber sent to him to trim his beard as he sat talking on and that done he stayed to dinner took his leave and went away without one word or symptom of suspicion ever afterwards he said to those who came to him with any ugly tale about licinius why did he spare me then when he had me in his power and his servant's hand was on my throat but perhaps his special merit in the eyes of all classes in italy save the very poorest was his frugal thrift augustus had husbanded with care the resources of the state and restored the financial credit of the empire but he drew largely from the purses of his subjects had recourse at first to proscriptions and forced loans and in spite of angry clamour had imposed succession duties which were odious to all the wealthy romans vespasian had ruled with wise economy and replenished his exhausted coffers but then his name recalled the memory of a mean and sordid parsimony that trafficked and haggled for the pettiest gains most of the other caesars had supplied their needs by rapine had struck down wealthy victims when they coveted their lands or mansions or had let the informers loose upon their prey to harry and to prosecute and to rake the spoils into the emperor's privy purse but trajan checked with a firm hand all the fiscal abuses of the last century that were brought before his eye withdrew all bounties and encouragements from the informers and had the disputed claims of his own agents brought before the courts of law and decided on their legal merits the presents which town councils and other corporate bodies had offered to each sovereign at his accession had grown into a burdensome exaction and they heard with thankfulness that trajan would take nothing at their hands the pressure of the succession duties too was lightened near kinsmen were exempted from the charge and a minimum of property was fixed below which the heir paid nothing men's dying wishes also were respected no longer were greedy hands laid on their property in the interests of caesar nor quibbling charges brought to quash their wills 
the legacies that fell to trajan were the tokens of a genuine regard and not the poor shifts of a dissembling fear which sacrificed a part to save the rest a financial policy so just and liberal was hailed on all sides with a hearty welcome but shrewd heads may well have thought there was a danger that such self-denials might be pushed too far the cool accountants and close-handed agents of the treasury murmured probably that the state would soon be bankrupt if systems so lax came into vogue and even pliny in his stately panegyric after a passing jest at their expense stays the current of his unbroken praise to hint that there may possibly be rocks ahead when i think he says of the loyal offerings declined of the imperial duties remitted by the treasury of the informers thrust aside and then again of the largesse granted to the soldiers and the people i am tempted to inquire whether you have balanced carefully enough the ways and means of the imperial budget and indeed the roman ruler's purse was not too full nor was it an easy task to meet the charges upon it the charges of the civil service were a new burden of the empire in the best days of the republic men served their country from a sense of duty or for honour in the worst age of its decline they received no pay directly from the state but pillaged the poor provincials at their mercy now salaries were given to all the officials of the central government throughout the roman world save a few only in the capital and the outlay on this head tended always to mount higher as the mechanism in each department grew more complex the world had been conquered at the first by troops of citizens serving only on short campaigns and in after years the needy soldiers of the later commonwealth were in great measure fed and pensioned out of the plunder of the provinces but the standing armies now encamped upon the borders of the empire though small if measured by the standard of our modern life were large enough to make their maintenance a problem somewhat hard to solve the dissolute populace of rome too proud to work but not to beg looked to have their food and pleasures provided for them by the state and were likely to rise in riotous discontent if their civil list was pared too close under these heads there was little saving to be made and it remained only for the emperor to stint himself happily he had few costly tastes no pampered favourites to be endowed no passion for building sumptuous palaces no wish to squander the revenues of a province on a single stately pageant to be a nine days wonder to the world he was blessed too with a wife of rare discretion content like the old roman matrons to rule her house with singleness of heart and be the lifelong partner of her husband's cares platina showed no restless vanity as the queen of changing fashions in the gay society of the great city but discouraged luxury and ostentation and was best pleased to figure in the coinage of her times as the familiar type of wifely fidelity and womanly decorum little was spent upon the imperial household but there was large outlay on great public works planned and carried out with grand magnificence gradually by patient thrift the funds were gathered for such ends as trade revived and credit was restored and capital came forth once more from its hiding-places in an epoch of mutual confidence and justice as the national wealth increased under the influence of favouring conditions 
the burdens of taxation pressed less heavily while the revenues of the state grew larger every year safety and ease of intercourse were among the primary needs of civilized life and the romans might be proud of being the great road-makers of the ancient world but of late years we read the needful works had been neglected and some of the famous highways of old times were falling fast into disrepair the appian above all the queen of roads as it had once been styled was figured in the coins and bas-reliefs of trajan's reign as a woman leaning on a wheel and imploring the emperor to come to her relief succour was given with a liberal hand and where it ran through the dangerous pontine marshes foundations of solid stone were raised above the surface of the boggy soil bridges were built over the winding rivulets and houses of refuge erected here and there along the way other parts of italy were also the objects of like care three new roads at least connected the great towns that lay upon the coast and though the fragmentary annals of the times make no mention of them the milestones or monuments since found speak of the careful forethought of the ruler whose name they bore we have also in like forms in other countries the same enduring witnesses to roads and works like the famous bridge of alcantara and the cost of these was sometimes met by his own privy purse sometimes by the imperial treasury or else by the corporate funds of neighbouring towns much was done too in the interests of trade to open up italy to foreign navies the old port of ostia deepened and improved a century before had been nearly choked by sand and mud fresh efforts were now made to arrest the forces of decay and under the new name of trajan's port it appears upon the faces of the coins as a wide bay in which triremes could ride at anchor but rome seemed to need a safer outlet to the sea as the old one at the tiber's mouth was really doomed to fail a new port was therefore made at kentum celli the civita vecchia of later days in a d one o six or one o seven pliny who went there on a visit when the work was going on describes in lively style what was being done before his eyes and tells of the breakwater which rising at the entrance of the harbour looked almost like a natural island though formed of rocks from the mainland End of section two